Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to talk today about crop rotation restrictions and we get questions about this late in the season seemingly every year about well I still want to do this. Can I rotate to soybeans next year? Can I rotate to wheat? Is that going to impact my corn? I don't know. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about which products you're looking at and, and see Wait, what whoa, you're whoa, whoa. Don't say, I don't know. We do know. So that's yeah, why we're talking about this today. Exactly. So here we are late in the season, and we just got done doing a little bit of spraying on our farm yesterday. There are some things going on out in fields, whether it's corn or soybeans on our farm. We're seeing some corn leaf aphids. We're seeing some soybean aphids. We're seeing some Japanese beetles, a number of different pests out there. We're also in kind of a high disease risk time right now. There are some crazy things happening out there. Southern rust has made it up into South Dakota, and there's some growers getting concerned about that. We're also seeing a little bit of gray leaf spot, a little bit of northern corn leaf blight. Nothing serious at this point, but we've got a nice crop out there. And we're having long periods of leaf wetness. So that puts the crop at risk. And we always get the weed control questions really late in the season. Wow, is it still worth it to make another application to kill things? That's where the tough questions come in often on crop rotational restrictions. Is it going to be worth it? Do you want to stress your crop this late in the game? So we'll talk through some of those things today. We've got a number of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag too, and on a variety of topics there. So we've got a number of mailbag questions to get to as well. And of course, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so to begin with, we are going to talk a little about crop rotation restrictions today. And the reason why we're doing this is because there have been a lot of late applications again this year. And on every label, there is going to be what's what's called the crop rotation restrictions. Uh, it'll Sometimes it'll be a chart. Sometimes it'll just be a few words. But the whole point is it's going to tell you how long until you can rotate to certain crops. But you've got to put some common sense into that too. So let's just say, for example, that it says six months. All right, six months you can rotate to a certain crop. All right, well, that's fine. But how does that change with weather? How does that change if you're exceptionally hot or cold? How does it change if you have lots of rain or if you have little rain? How does it change if you have poor drainage? How does it change if you have too much salt, too much manure, too much sodium? Some of these different soil issues. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Does the label talk about any of those things that I just mentioned? Rarely. Sometimes it will talk about weather. I mean, I should say rainfall specifically. It will say, all right, if you have less than 15 inches of rain, you can do this. If you have more than that, you can do this. Okay, well, that's one component of it. But I want you to think about how herbicides break down in soil. So, yeah, it's real common to think, well, boy, if I get more rain, then I'm going to have less herbicide there. But that is absolutely not true in all situations. For example, let's say that I have heavy soil. I've got a 30, 35 cation exchange capacity. I get lots of rain, so much rain that my soil is fairly flooded. My water table's kind of high. 
okay? And it's high throughout most of the growing season. What does a high water table do? Well, what is what it does is it pushes out all the air. If there's no air left, the aerobic microbes in your soil die. And those aerobic microbes, many of them can break down certain herbicides. So on top of that, if you don't have air in that soil, now you have more uh, roots dying off. If you don't have good root growth in the soil to use the herbicide up, if you don't have microbes in high abundance in the soil to break things down, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You're actually going to have less breakdown. You're going to have more carryover issues and you had more rain. So just to say that we have had more rain does not necessarily mean that you're going to have fewer carryover issues next year. On top of that, let's talk about drought and let's talk about heat. Okay, With heat, microbes break things down faster, plants grow faster. Usually with heat, we'll see a little faster breakdown. But on the flip side, if we have no rain, I mean like zero rain during that time, then how good is your plant growth? I mean, if you have a drought situation, how good is your crop growth? How good is your weed growth even? It's not good. Well, that means that there's probably going to be more herbicide left over. If you are spraying late in the season, you have to be thinking about, all right, how, how far am I pushing this window on six months? So, for example, I almost never see on a herbicide label, well, if your ground's going to be frozen for six months out of the year, you should just simply subtract that six months with the whole rotation restriction. On, on our farm, for example, where, we, where we're at here in South Dakota, our ground is frozen for at least four months every single year, and a lot of times it's five months. Occasionally, it's six months. Well, if the ground is frozen, how's the herbicide breaking down? It can't move with water. It can't get bro broken down by microbes because it's too cold, and it's not going to get absorbed by any plants. So how can anything possibly change when the ground's frozen? It's not going to. So if you had a year, a winter that's exceptionally cold and our, the frost, instead of lasting four months, it lasts six months, how is that going to affect your herbicide breakdown? Well, it's not going to be good. You're going to have more potential carryover going into the next year. So we like talking about a lot of these uh, a lot of these kinds of issues, especially when we're looking at, at overall crop rotation. And, you know, right now with the farm economy being kind of tough, we say, boy, I think I want to switch from corn to beans. I think I might want to plant wheat. You know what? Let's plant some dry beans. How about we go to sunflowers? Let's plant some crop we don't normally plant. Well, think about what you did for herbicides. That's why we're talking about this today, because we're already thinking 2021. And let's face it, winter crops are going to go in the ground soon as well. So, We'll get to crop rotation restrictions with different herbicides and kind of talk through some of these issues again. If you've got any questions for us, just call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You would never plant seed or apply herbicide with a 20% success rate. So why are you still applying phosphorus fertilizer with a maximum availability of only 20%? Double your phosphate availability and increase yields with NutriCharge from AgroTech USA. 
Nutricharge's patent-pending technology protects phosphorus from negative chemical reactions that tie up your fertilizer investment. Nutricharge performs across all soil types and pHs. Contact Agrotech USA or your local Van Dees supply representative today. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. back you're listening to ag phd radio we're talking about crop rotation restrictions on different products you may apply out in your fields we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD head down to georgia first we got eric prostko with us with the university of georgia eric thanks for joining us hey guys how y'all doing today we're doing pretty well, and, you know, we think about things just a little bit different here in South Dakota. We plant corn, and by the time we harvest it, there's nothing going in that field again for another seven <laughs> months probably. It's a little different in Georgia. Talk to me about crop rotational restrictions down there with different products. Okay, great. You know, as you, as you well know, down here we are quite diverse in the crops that we grow, and so usually the first question I ask somebody when we're making a recommendation is what are you going to be following the current crop with? Because it could be, uh, you know, we've got peanuts, cotton, we've got onions, uh, we've got sweet corn and uh, about 15 or 20 other kind of vegetable crops. And so we're always concerned about uh, what the potential rotational crop will be. You know, our biggest challenges that we have is with uh, some ALS products. Uh, we use a product called Cadre down here on peanuts. That causes some problems. We also use another product called Strong Arm, uh, which uh, can cause some problems depending upon uh, what we're rotating to. But it's a huge issue for us because of the diversity of crops that we grow. So as you're looking at this, how many growers are looking at kind of a multi-year approach here that, all right, I planted onions now, but I've got to put three or four years in between them so I can do all the other things I have to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you know those... Uh, uh, Long-term rotations are, are certainly important, so we, we always are watching on, on what we're using. And there's, there's just certain products we won't use in fields if we know we're coming back to uh, uh, some of those high-value crops. We don't even want to take a chance 
Um, and you guys might find this interesting. This is something that doesn't happen very often around the rest of the country. You guys are corn and soybean guys. We're in the middle of corn harvest right now, and it's common for us to double crop soybeans after corn in the southern part Crazy. of our state. So even that can be a challenge. Uh, in some cases, uh, we've got to watch what we're doing uh, there. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting corn off now, and some guys will be planting uh, beans here, right? As soon as they can get their corn off, they're going to be planting soybeans. Yeah, it's really neat when you've got that long growing season. You also have a few things in your advantage or to your advantage when you have a little more rainfall than some areas of the country, and you've definitely got some heat down in Georgia. I know that for sure. Oh, yeah. So, so you look at our corn, for example, 85% of our corn is irrigated, right? So we're getting uh, ample irrigation on our corn. We have low organic matter soils. Uh, less than 1% in a lot of places, low CECs, and very sandy soil. So things tend to, to not hang around uh, as long as you might think, uh, say, where, where you all are from in the upper Midwest. You know, perfect example is, you know, atrazine. You know, it, for us in about 8 to 10 weeks, atrazine's gone. Wow. Yeah, that's a concern for us. If we put atrazine out, there's not very many crops we can rotate to the next year because it takes forever for it to break down up here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, And then you look at your winter time, right? Uh, we might get a hard frost in the middle of November, but you know our soils aren't really freezing like your soils are, so you're not getting any microbial degradation during the winter where we're still fairly warm, right? So we've got a lot of, a lot of things that help. Uh, break down herbicides um although we still have we do have some crops that are super sensitive to low residues of certain things you know with all the resistant weed challenges that, that you've undoubtedly faced in georgia and a number of different crops and with some new pests coming through there are a lot of questions about these late season applications and and you start with well is it going to give me any benefit now that's usually our first question mm -hmm. our second question is generally okay what are you coming back with because maybe that means all right we had corn this year we might have to go corn again because of some carryover type issues but we got to take right. care of that problem now and i I think when we get super late in the season, sometimes that's a tough call up here. I know it's got to be for you as well. Well, it is. You know, that's something we talk about when we're making recommendations. We're, right, we're going to say, how bad is this problem? And if this is the only way that you can control that problem, then you need to think about what, you know, maybe you can't plant what you wanted to plant there next year because if we don't tackle it now, uh, it's just going to get worse. So, the, you know, those discussions are all always there and you know you got to get through this year before you get the next year right but you but you have to keep that in mind what you what you might might be planning you know and the other thing that changes a lot you we might talk to a grower and say no i'm, I'm definitely going to plant corn there or um or maybe something else and then if cotton were to jump up uh, to a dollar a pound you know then everybody would plant cotton and you're like well wait a minute that's not what we talked about you know we might have a problem here so uh you really got to pay attention, and things can change. As you know, you guys are farmers, right? So the prices will dictate what we might might change a rotational crop to. Yeah, and they get us all excited about something. You're absolutely right about that. We see a price on one certain crop go up, and it's like, oh, boy, well, I guess we better go all in on that, and we, we kind of quickly yeah. forget about some of these things. That's yeah, why we're yeah, talking yeah, crop so rotation restrictions today. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, certainly, you know, I think it's it's interesting, too, as, I, as I've worked with growers over my life, you know, to pay attention to those rotation restrictions, you know, they're, 
it's, it's important that you know that before you pull the trigger, because once you pull the trigger, uh, you can't go back. Yep. Yep. That's and, exactly and, and right. It's important to, important to know that before you, before you do it. Good advice. We're talking with Eric Prosco with the university of Georgia. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today and good luck to you here the rest of the summer. All right, guys. Thanks again for having me. Have a great day. You bet. Let's head back to South Dakota here. We've got Garrett Schaefer with us with South Dakota State right now. Garrett, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hey, I got a few questions for you. We're talking crop rotation restrictions today, and we've had some interesting things pop up in South Dakota. Now, over the last, I would say, decade for sure, the use of cover crops has really grown in our state, and we get a lot of questions around this. I'm betting you do too. Hey, I used this herbicide program. Which cover crops are going to be safe to plant there? Yeah, it yeah, it depends. I'm guessing you're are you talking in crop herbicides applied and then what can be planted after that? Yes. Or, yes. Or burn down too. Yep. Yep. We well, that's right. There's there's a lot of different applications that we're making through the season and I, I was talking about this with Eric Prosco there just a minute ago that we're kind of worried about this crop first and then the cover crop kind of second, but certainly with some careful yep. planning you can put just about anything after it. Yeah, I mean you run into a lot of problems with uh, what you want to do with the cover crops. So uh, especially most pre-emergence you put down or even early post in corn soybeans, um, those are going to limit you on what you can do. Uh, grazing hay usually is not allowed in a lot of those cover crops are planted within, oh, say, four months to even upwards of a year or more. Um, most of them are a year or more. And then on burndown situations, uh, the same thing. You run into a lot that are non-contact, um, even with 2,4-D dicamba products. But we have did a lot of research. Um, if you're, it depends, of course, like you've been talking about uh, your soil properties, pH, etc., and how it's going to carry over and how it's going to break down weather-wise. But a lot of cover crops will survive and get a decent stand, even with um, a lot of these herbicides used, even in wheat. Um, let's say like late May, June, you can get a decent stand in July of a cover crop if you just don't want to graze or hay it. Sure, sure. You know, the other thing that's come up the last few years has been, and this is really strange, and I know there's other areas of the country that get this too. We have a flood one year, we have a drought the next, or something goofy like that. Yeah. And it sure does uh, change how long these, these herbicides are going to take to break down. Yeah. Yeah, atrazine, um, I even have applied um, upwards of a pound of atrazine uh, as a pre-emergent in corn, and then we come back with cover crops um, after corn silage, and we're seeing um, a decent stand of cover crop. Hardly even noticed a difference, even where the pound of atrazine was applied, even in a, a drier year. So a lot of these, of course, um, get broke down more if it stays in the soil solution versus gets all bound up in... Uh, and uh, the soil colloids, uh, for example, um, you know, uh, your organic matter or uh, your uh, other soil properties. And then, of course, if it gets bound up, it's going to get broke down. And then if it stays in the soil solution in the water, et cetera, it can, uh, of course, stick around a little longer and affect cover crops. Absolutely. We're talking with Garrett Schaefer with South Dakota State. Garrett, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today, and good luck here the rest of the summer. Uh, you too. Thank you. Bye. Talking crop rotation restrictions on today's program and taking your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. More choices, more money. 
With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans, like, literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Your land is a legacy. A challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about some crop rotation restrictions. Brian, there's some products that are labeled that we're still a little cautious of, especially like Eric Prasco and Garrett Schaefer brought up some good ideas here about what kind of soils are in. Do we have high organic matter? Do we have low organic matter? Have we got our pH in line? There's a number of yep. things there that could impact microbial degradation out in fields. Yeah, that's right. And as we're talking about all this today, we don't want you to get scared where you say, oh, I just, I can't use any herbicides anymore. Look, we rarely see any problems. I'm not that concerned, but there are some products that are very long lasting that we just want you to at least be thinking about. When are you spraying it? What 
kind of rate are you using and where are you putting it? So just for example, Stinger herbicide. That's also in wide match. It's mixed in a lot of other premixes, but Stinger herbicide's a tremendous thistle killer. We really love it. Been using it for years. I had an issue, this goes back probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I, I had someone in South Dakota that had a, a carryover issue, and I, I'm looking at the beans, and I go, yep, it's it, that's definitely stinger carryover. Why are we having stinger carryover here? And, you know, I went through the rate with them, and when they used it, and I go, that's all fine. So tell me more about this field. Well, we put lots of manure on it. See our hog barn right over here? I go, oh, I get it. Can I see your soil tests? <laughs> As you may imagine, the salts were off the charts. And when you have very high salt levels, just like when you have very high sodium levels, you have major drainage issues, you're just not going to have the microbial degradation that you normally would. So, well, 99.9% of farmers that I had worked with prior to that point had had zero issue with Stinger. Well, these guys did. And it was simply because of how they were treating their soil. So, yes, like I was saying earlier in the show, I mean, some common sense has to play into this. And you have to look at all the factors in your soil, not just, well, all my neighbors are doing it, so it's probably going to be fine for me. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. We've got John with us in northwest Indiana. John, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? Good, good. What's happening on your operation? Oh, we're just putting a, a new uh, grain leg up and a, and a new pit in. And so just getting ready for harvest at this point. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's a lot of work and a lot of investment, but something that should last for a long, long time on the farm. When when you're doing this, have you had an, an old one that you're replacing or are you just adding additional capacity? No, we're just adding a new and so it's uh, it's something new for us. We've never had a grain leg. We always used uh, long augers for the uh, wet bins and then uh, the air system. Okay. So, so this be this be new for us. Hopefully, we're in and out in our dump a lot faster than sitting over an auger. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be really really nice. Uh, I understand you've been doing some tiling as well. Yeah, about seven years ago, we tiled uh, a couple different fields, and then we switched direction. We've been no-tilling for, oh, we are no-tilling even before we tiled, and uh, but they have just become rough to, uh, right across, you know, to plant or even the combine and stuff. And so we're, we're thinking about, and I was listening to you yesterday about deep tillage and all that, and that's what, what made me think of the question of, what would you suggest, a disc ripper to go through there and then come back with a finisher and when we get beans out this year and take and put in a, uh, a, a, a ryegrass for a cover crop? Okay. So just level that. We're trying to level the field off. Sure, sure. You know, we get questions about that a lot, about no-till and strip-till fields. What what do I need to do, and when is deep-till appropriate? I mean, this is something I, I should probably let Brian talk about a little bit, too. He's even talked about running a plow out on our field, John. I can't even tell you the last time we had a plow running on anything of, of any size anyway. We have plows running all the time. Chisel plow, though. You're talking moldboard plow. But, I, I mean, I, it, the, the whole point is, you may need different tools based on 
on how hard your soil is, how much residue you have to deal with, exactly when you're doing this, and you always have to be thinking about compaction a little bit too. So we got a lot of things to look at. Have we run a disc ripper recently and done exactly what you're talking about? Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of getting stuff uh, smoothed back out, we've had a lot of issues with ruts and that can be really problematic depending on how deep those ruts go. So yeah, lots, lots of issues there. So did, did you have any specific questions on, uh, on that and, and take it a little further? Yeah, we have just a few ruts, but other than that, we're fine. Uh, it's just more where the tile's been laid in. That yep. has never, we never got that smoothed across. Sure. It's the, when you hit it, all of a sudden, boom, you know, yep. boom, boom. Yep. And you're through it. Uh, and then, then with switching the direction of the field, we're, we're <laughs> yep. working with, <laughs> you know, all oh, that. Oh, I know. I know exactly yeah. all about that. We've switched direction on some fields, especially as we've combined fields. Then, yeah, half the field, you know, or I mean, what used to be two fields now is one. Half was running north and south, right. the other half running east and west. Oh, yeah, yep. And it, it, it takes years oh, yeah. sometimes before you get that good. But to your point, I mean, the deeper the tillage, then the quicker that change is going to come about. So, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in doing some deep stuff, especially where we've got major compaction issues, where we have ruts to take care of, and where we, we are switching direction on those rows a lot of times. So, nope, that all makes sense okay. to me. And then once you do the deep tillage with a, like a, 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 a disc ripper, yep. what would you go over top of it with? Since we're going to have to buy some stuff because we got our turbo till and we got a disc. That's about <laughs> all we have for a tillage tool. Well, I was just going to say what we run is a field cultivator after that. We'll typically disc rip it in the fall yep. if we're going to disc rip it. And then a lot of times we'll just leave it until spring. And then when you come along in the spring, okay. then we'll field cultivate. But you could certainly do more leveling. And it all depends on, uh, you know, with your particular disc ripper and how it's going to look afterwards. I don't know how deep those ridges are. Let me say one thing, too. A lot of people have gotten away from tillage, and certainly there are advantages to that. There's also an, There are also several advantages to using tillage. So I was just meeting with some agronomists in Minnesota yesterday who said, boy, in our area it was so dry where we put herbicide on and didn't work it in, it didn't work very well. Where we lightly tilled it, like with a field cultivator, it worked phenomenally well. So, I mean, that's that's one thing that we talk about quite a bit. And the reason why I'm bringing this up right now with your disc ripper thing is let's say that your ridges get to be too deep. So if, you know, from top to bottom, you're talking more than four, five, six inches, then we sometimes can have problems burying some of that herbicide that we spray out there and then work in. So, yeah, you might want to level it. I, I, I mean, uh, your turbo till would level it at least more than what the disc ripper is going to, but you certainly don't have to do that this fall. And your turbo till isn't going to be a perfectly smooth seed bed either. So that's why I understand uh, why, the, why you're asking the question. But yeah, for us, what we've got is a field cultivator, and then we have on the back of it rolling baskets, and that's made a pretty nice seed bed for us. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, when I used to do tillage, I would, you know, chisel plow, and then every so many years do a disc ripper. And, right. But a field cultivator with rolling baskets, and then we went to no-till. Yep. And our, we have really improved our soil. Oh, yeah. With the no-till. Yep, yep. And uh, so... And it's saving a lot of fuel. Yes. 
Yep, so, and and to Darren's point, he was talking about that moldboard plow thing. That's something I brought up. Let's say that we want, even if we were going to no-till on our farm, we do a lot of strip-till. We used to do a lot of no-till. Now we do a lot of strip-till just so we can put the fertilizer deeper and warm up in our rows because we're so darn cold here all the time. But anyway, I just said, how about once every 10 years, maybe once every 20 years, we go out and moldboard plow so we stir things up again because our, our, one of our challenges has been, like with no-till especially, we stratified the nutrients. So we got so many of our nutrients like P and K and zinc in the top two inches. And I just wanted to get more deeper. That was my number one issue with with no-till. So I'm not saying that other people haven't necessarily figured out a better way than we ever did to, to, to solve that problem. But yeah, occasional tillage certainly has some benefits. Hey, John, we got to get running here, but uh, thanks a lot for the call. Hey. Really appreciate it. Best of luck oh. to you. Thank you. You have a blessed day, young man. You bet. You too. I love how people call us young men yet, but you know, that's whatever. okay. I got we'll, a lot of gray hair. We'll <laughs> we'll take it as long as we can get away. We with are that, young in right? farming. <laughs> All right, we're talking crop rotation restrictions on today's Ag PhD Radio Show. Stay tuned. Oh my goodness! Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and its burn-down and long-lasting residual power is making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Endzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Endzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Endzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback. 
an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open throughout the show at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. If you have an agronomic question or want to share what's happening on your farm, we've been talking about crop rotational restrictions, and this is the this is why reading product labels is important. But you can't just rely on information off the data. When you see, all right, I've got a nine month crop rotational restriction here, but I sprayed it in a drought situation. We've had no rain and it laid on top of the ground and it's probably still there. Do you feel safe planting back into that nine months later, even though it's labeled? I don't. I think you got to wait a little bit longer. And I know as we talk to farmers, even further west from where we farm, when you get out into Wyoming and Montana and Colorado and dryland farming, growers will say, man, there's no question that a nine-month rotational restriction often means we got to wait a couple years here before we get enough moisture to change things. And we see some labels that reflect that, that talk about you better get at least 12 inches of moisture or you're going to have to add more time on, or in a pH above 7 or above. 7-4, you have to add more time on those But like we said earlier, it's not just moisture. And so it's very hard for the people who are writing the labels to come up with exactly what's the right answer for all situations. <laughs> so that's why they have to start drawing a line in the sand. And they might say 12 inches of moisture. Well, what if you had 13? What if you had 11? Is there that big a difference? No. But on the label, it might be a whole year earlier (laughs) that you can rotate to a certain crop. So that's where we say all the time. At the end of the day, you're the one paying the bills. You're the one who's got to make a common sense decision. You want to take what the label says. And in many cases, you want to be just a little bit more conservative than that, especially if you're in an environment that's colder, that's drier, that has poorer drainage in some cases, that has more salt or more sodium than the average person out there. So if you ever have specific questions about that, we would certainly encourage you, give us a call, send us an email. We can hopefully help guide you through. But it's kind of like, so over the years, my favorite question I'll get from farmers right during spring, guys will call me up and they'll say, Brian, is it too windy to spray? And my response is always this, if you have to ask, you and I both know the answer to that question. Just like on this rotational restrictions thing, if it's borderline and you're asking, what do you think our response is going to be? We're going to choose to be safe rather than sorry. So in some cases, that's going to mean not rotating to the crop that you you would like to rotate to. So it's common where I will tell people, hey, you got to plant soybeans one more year. You got to plant corn one more year or wheat one more year. Just do it again because whatever you put out there, you probably shouldn't have sprayed that late. Maybe shouldn't have used that higher rate. Maybe shouldn't have used that product in particular. And just to conclude this whole discussion about uh, rotational restrictions, I, I just don't want you to get scared off and scared away from using residual herbicides. Residual herbicides are fantastic. We just want you to use them in the right way, use them at the correct rates. Uh, by the way, when you're spraying them too, 
do everything you can to spray them correctly. With modern technology now, you can go down all the way to individual nozzles and shutting them off. So for your point rows, you don't have things doubled up and tripled up. Believe me, we used to have a lot of that stuff on the farm. We'd kill stuff or we'd turn stuff a different color. We'd have little spots of terrible yield. Well, that's not good, number one, because we lose yield. But number two, we overspent on the herbicide. So keep your herbicide costs down. Use the technology on sprayers. Try to prevent those overlaps. And hopefully next year is going to be a fantastic year for you. All right, I got a number of questions coming in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's dive into those. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, uh, first one here comes from Nick from Central Kansas. He said, "I'm looking for a cover crop slash grazing program for dry land and irrigated fields. My cation exchange capacity ranges from a six on the low end to a thirty on the high end. Well, that's that's quite a variance there, Nick." I uh, said our rainfall is somewhere in the 22 to 32 inch range. Looking for a couple mixes that could be planted fall or spring. So here's our situation. We plant a small grain in the fall, graze it out, then deal with weeds all summer long. We'd like to have a cover crop out there spring, summer time frame when we're done grazing the small grains or a perennial that we could use for a year round rotational grazing. Then also we're looking to help with weed suppression and continued grazing too. Now, on the irrigated ground, looking for a mix that we grazed in the fall or early spring, used as a true cover crop, other than that we're grazing it, uh, kind of more traditional time frame there. Wanting to improve soil health, weed suppression, water infiltration, all the normal things. He said, I know it's pretty broad and we've got quite a range here, but our main goals trying to improve our grazing for cattle and also suppress these year-round problematic weeds like pigweed and crabgrass. Okay, so first of all, in terms of weed suppression, most crops can suppress weeds if you have them properly seeded or I should say have a a high enough right have a a good enough strong enough stand you get good growth so we we always talk about drainage and fertility for that crop now I'm not even going to use the words cover crop because what you're asking for is not what we view as cover crop at all that's a cash crop because you're grazing it so you have to ask yourself in my geography what will grow well as a grazing crop where my livestock will do uh, do the best. And I, I, I mean, I got to be honest, I am not the expert on livestock in, in terms of, well, what exact grazing mix does my livestock do the best? So we talk all the time about weed control, about raising certain crops. And so if you want weed control, insects, diseases, uh, fertility, drainage, all those agronomic things, that we're the experts on. <laughs> but I, I mean, Darren, unless you have some exact thing, I don't know what that is because I've never studied up enough on in that geography, which crops will grow the best that I can graze that will continue to come back well, and produce the most total tonnage. Cause that's what I'm after is total tonnage and total nutrient level for that livestock. I think this is Absolutely no different than a farmer saying, which kind of corn should I plant? I want to get high yield. Which kind of forage should you plant? You want to have something that grazes really well for you? Awesome. Try a few different things. Find out for yourself what works the best. Talk to other farmers in your area that are doing some grazing like this and try and get the best. Get the most tonnage, get the best gains. I think tonnage and necessarily gains 
could be two different things. So maybe that's yeah. that's something to take a look yeah. at too. What what protein levels should you shoot for? Maybe talk to a nutritionist for your livestock and say, all right, I'm going to do this. What would give me the best nutrition for the least amount of dollars? Just I see things all the time from folks who are saying, wow, I put in millet and I get a lot more tonnage per dollar than what I got out of corn. Or I put in some uh, different kind of clover and here's what it did to me adding protein and adding nitrogen. There are a lot of great mixes out there. We aren't the experts on all of them, and, and certainly not. Uh, it's With as broad a range as what you've got there in central Kansas. Yeah, when you first mentioned cover crops, and you can go right to our Ag PhD website, look under the Resources tab for cover crops, and we talk about some of the different advantages to cover crops and the best choices to fill each need. And under grazing potential, we just have radishes, turnips, ryegrass, rapeseed, sudan grass, and wheatgrass, for example. All right. I got another question here. This one comes from Jesse, and... He said, you were talking about alfalfa on your show in my home state of Missouri. It's a very important crop for us. Not only do we use it for hay, it also gets pelletized and added for feed for cattle, horses, even hogs now. And he said, it's even been used as cat litter because the chlorophyll, they say, kills the odor. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that one before. He said, one other thing, uh, uh, just wanted you to talk, wanted us to talk about alfalfa just a little bit and want to know we appreciate that. Hey, Jesse, thanks for the for the message. I, I do appreciate that. And you're right. We don't talk about alfalfa as much as we do with some of the other crops out there. And there's a lot of potential in alfalfa when you look at the kind of tonnage, the health of the stands from one farm to the next. There are certainly some differences there in management that, that can make a big, big difference for you with alfalfa production. We've got a number of questions here for the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll get back to more of these mailbag questions right after this. We'll also continue taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. 
With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag right now, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, got one from, from Sam out in Washington, a follow-up question to a question he had last week. They've got some raptor that they had used out in some soil. We're worried about potential crop rotational restrictions. He said, if I plant Emmy wheat, so imidazolinone resistant wheat, could we use Raptor again, or would that be safe from Raptor sure. carryover? Yeah, it'd be safe from Raptor carryover. So I I just look at it as if I'm worried about a carryover situation, I wouldn't put any more Raptor out. I would just... Why not? Because then next year you're in the same boat of, oh, I used Raptor in some really low pH soil in a dry area that might have carryover again. Yeah, is it dry though? I thought it was irrigated. Irrigated sand. If it's irrigated sand, am I that worried about it? I don't. I don't think so. But yes, I mean you have to be concerned, and this is our topic today about what you're rotating to. So you can look right on the label, and it will tell you with Raptor how many months until you go to certain crops. So if let's say you pushed it last year, should you use that product again this year? Well, if you do it timely, it's fine. But if you're not timely, then it's it's not going to be fine. Number one and number two. If there was some left from last year and you run with the absolute full rate this year, could there be some going into next year, even if you are timely? Well, it's possible. And to Darren's point, okay, let's say it's non-irrigated. In that dry country, without a lot of humidity, without a lot of rainfall, would I do it? Then I'm going to be a lot more apprehensive about it. So I might use a reduced rate and do something else also for herbicide control. I mean, there, there are plenty of options out there. But, yeah, Raptor is basically the same thing as Beyond, and that is the product that's labeled on some of these Emmy-tolerant or Clearfield-tolerant or Clearfield crops. So, yep, uh, not a big deal in terms of having some Raptor that is carrying over into that particular crop. 
All right, thanks for that question. Got this one from Travis in Southeast South Dakota. He said, we harvested the wheat, and now we're looking for a wheat stubble burndown program. We're going to be planting corn in 2021, but we still get enough growing season that pigweeds and other yep. problems could come up. Yep. I was recommended two ounces of Sharpen along with Power Max or Weed Master at a quart. What would you think of that program? Well, the Sharpen's expensive. Would I run Sharpen? Not a chance. What I would do instead would be Valor. That's cheaper, and it's just as effective. Plus, it will last in the soil a little longer. So, But it's that, rotating to corn next year. So what? I mean, you're planting it, or I mean, you're, you're spraying now. I mean, you're not going to plant the corn for eight months. I'm not too worried about it. All that Valor, even though, yes, it lasts longer than the Sharpen, all that Valor is going to be gone by October. So, no, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. I'd run two to three ounces of Valor, and then I would plant my corn just like normal in the spring. That's what I would do. You can look right on the road, on the label of Valor, and it's going to tell you one month to corn. So, nope, I feel perfectly confident in that, especially right now when it's hot. We're getting some moisture. You're going to have breakdown in the soil, and you got a lot of weeds out there to use it up. Let's never forget the number one thing with the, the whole this whole crop rotational thing, when you start putting some common sense to it, is how many weeds have you got? If you've got a million weeds out there, that's a lot different than if you have 10. And just knowing how bad water hemp is in southeast South Dakota, I'm guessing there are a lot more than a million weeds out there, or there are going to be soon. So the weeds are going to suck up that herbicide, and it's all going to be gone by spring. So what would I throw with the Valor right now? Yeah, I'd probably. So, what did you say? You said Roundup and and what else? He was saying Weed Master. Oh yeah, I mean, if you want to use that, I I, I guess l- l- let me say this though, I'm not a big proponent of throwing any more dicamba out there. We've got enough drift issues. Dicamba's already got a bad enough name. So rather than go Weed Master, I might just go straight to 4D, uh, along with Roundup and and the Valor. And you might say, well. Why do I need the Roundup in there? Well, you want the Roundup in there for grass. You might go, well, wait a second. Why do we need the 2,4-D in there? The 2,4-D is to help burn down the weeds that are already up. The Valor has some burn down activity, but it's not fantastic. So the Valor is more for the residual control. So just a follow-up here, Travis uh, said... The water hemp in Kosha is six inches tall right now. Yeah, fine. So he's trying to burn that down. Yep, no problem. So I would run Roundup. I'd run a strong rate. So I'm talking quart, quart and a half of uh are concerned both of those are Roundup resistant. So that's why you're saying run a strong rate of 2,4-D. Don't that's count right. on the Roundup that's doing right. any of the work. Yeah, the Roundup's there to kill the grass. You got the 2,4-D and the Valor to kill the Kosha and the water hemp. So that's the direction I'd go. So if it was me, I'm probably running, I don't know, Court of LV6, let's just say. And then I'm going to throw the Valor along with it. Now, one concern that you may have would be the, the mixing ability. So what we typically are talking about is... Uh, if you put a whole bunch of water in there, plus your 2,4-D, get your Valor in first and then your 2,4-D, and then you throw the Roundup in right at the end, then generally speaking, we don't have a lot of mixing issues. But yes, it's possible you could have mixing issues with 2,4-D together with a 
K salt or a potassium salt glyphosate. So either run an old IPA, run, run a uh, uh, run like a Durango or you know some generic or whatever. It's hard to do right now because RT3 and PowerMax are so ridiculously cheap. They're like half the price of generic. So it's hard to not use that. So I I probably would use that. I'd go RT3 or PowerMax. I'd put that in there. But like I say. Have lots of water, get the Valor in there, then get the 2,4-D in, and then I'm throwing the Roundup in right at the end. And I might even use a little bit of compatibility agent, but that usually doesn't help a whole lot with that particular mix. Okay, I got a soil test tissue test from two different spots in a dry bean field. And this is from Sam out in Washington, wondering if you could figure out why the the one area is good and the other area area is really really bad and sam had called in a week ago just asking about this and one thing that stood out to them is look at how much nitrate is in the area that looks bad and with beans is there a spot where 230 pounds of nitrate could really hurt it compared to the area where it looks good where there's only 100 Um, yeah and if i remember right we got an email from tom after that show too that said hey check the molybdenum levels and I see there is no test on molybdenum for the soil, and it looks like I have no test on the tissue either for molybdenum. But yes, is excess nitrogen going to potentially cause more problems? I, I mean, if it's an iron deficiency chlorosis issue, then that would cause more problems. But let's I mean, you said, Darren, there's a little more nitrogen. That's in the low pH spot. That's not in the high pH spot. And it was the low pH spot that did not look good. And by low, I mean 5.6. So the reason I know why Tom brought this up is in low pH, we have more issues with molybdenum than we do a lot of other nutrients. Usually we'll have a little better availability for the plant with nutrients like manganese, copper, and iron when that pH goes, well, manganese and copper at least, when the pH goes uh, a little bit lower. Well, iron too. And and zinc a little bit. I mean, a lot of those micronutrients will be more available at the lower pHs. So anyway, yeah, with the plant tissue, I, I mean, I, I can't, in one minute, I, I mean, there's nothing here that stands out to me, but I'd have to give it a little more evaluation, take me a few minutes. All right. Uh, this one's from Tom. He said, you're talking about barnyard grass. I've got some barnyard grass going in a Kentucky bluegrass lawn. What are some of the strategies you use for annual grass control in lawns? Well, a, a, a few things. I mean, there is pendimethalin that you can use. There are a few grass killers that, that typically will get used. Uh, we actually have had pretty good luck with putting some mesotrione out there. So that would be similar to Callisto in corn, for example. And I'm not saying it's the best grass product ever, but that has activity. You can use some drive. That has activity on crabgrass and a few other annual annual grasses. So there, there certainly are approaches that you can take out there. There are a few herbicides, and there are some others that I'm, I'm not throwing out there here. But, yeah, you, you can certainly look that up, look at a lot of these labels, but there are definitely many products that can help get you some control. 
Yeah, the key, just like in our fields, is we want to get out there ahead of it, if at all possible, rather than trying to rescue it later on with great big weeds. We've got a lot better luck when we can get stuff a little bit smaller. But of course, you got some extra tools there in your lawn in terms of just having a good, thick grass growing in your lawn and choking a lot of those weeds out naturally, too. Thanks for listening to our program today. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.